0: We recently attended a lovely wedding by the river in Hanoi. The bride was a close friend, one of my best ones. We've known each other since high school and have been on all sorts of adventures together. We watched the same TV shows and were part of the same group of friends. We called one another soulmates. Then we fell in love, not with each other, but with two guys from the same group in the South. And we would go on a ton of double dates together, taking turns driving to the south together. And you can bet this made us even closer. Inseparable. We got so close that really, the only foreseeable future we had, well, at least for me, was us growing old together in close proximity forever. And then one day she sat me down and declared a complete reroute. She broke off her 11-year relationship and wanted to move to another country, all on her own, and I was so proud of her for that. She's called Vietnam her home since 2012, taught young kids at an international school, practiced yoga, and eventually found love, the kind of love that takes you straight to the altar. I could not be happier for her. Plong and I haven't spoke as often through the years. And when I attended her wedding last April, she was equal parts the same silly girl and a completely different person. I asked you before about, and I understand that in 2023, you know, not everybody wants to start a family. Mm -hmm. But you, you're keen. (laughs) You're keen? You guys are, (laughs) you guys are, you guys are looking to start a family?
1: Yeah, um. We, we've we been playing around the idea. Um, I think pre pandemic, Adam and I actually had this um, hungover conversation on New Year's Day. How okay. we like, romantic? I know. Waggy saying, Do you want to have kids? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, it was so funny because I brought it up. We weren't engaged back then okay well, i felt like oh this is a guy i you know i want to seal the deal with and what better way to seal the deal is with kids let's go for it that's that's the first thing i remember having this conversation with you i'm like we just decided to have kids right that was weird yeah. years years day miserable and we were like no oh, actually yeah this is a good year to do it and then 2020 happened and as you know, the, the lockdowns were just as crazy here as they were there in, um, in the Philippines. Okay. When we couldn't leave the country and we couldn't see family, all that mm-hmm. stuff. It, it became like side, we, we became side trapping. didn't really become a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like recently we've been playing around with the idea of not having kids. Okay. Like, what are our reasons to have kids anyway? Um, and then we laid it out. We had this really long conversation about, okay, these are... We It ended up where we had more reasons to not have kids. Wow. And yeah. Because we talked about a lot of things like... Because we're both teachers. And usually the end of our day is like talking about all the amazing things that the kids did and said. and. Like, great news for the kids and other, like, more frustrating things. Uh-huh. um. So, like, there's just also a different perspective to how we see children uh-huh. and how children are raised and stuff. Um. So, yeah, we had more reasons to not have kids. Wow. But then, once in a while, we'd be like, oh, yeah. well, actually, we do want kids. And then... When we thought about it, what were the reasons to have biological kids anyway? Like, ah, we were just curious of what our kids would look like. You know? Yeah. I mm-hmm. think they'd be cute. We, we, that was always that the idea we they were like, I want to see what little me and little you looks like, you know? Mm-hmm. But, and we're like, I don't think that's a good enough mm-hmm. reason to have a biological kid. Mm-hmm. I feel like it. For us, if that was our only reason, it was so selfish of us to bring them into this world of at that point in 2020 and 2021. During the the, the lockdown, we were so we were so obsessed on this whole irreversible, the, the time where they declared that the, that climate change was irreversible. And we were like, oh my god, that is <laughs> <door, door, door, laughs> <door, door, door, laughs> Like, we shouldn't have kids, but then we wanted kids the idea of being parents. So, yeah, we decided if we do have kids, it's gonna be because we want someone who needs a home and needs a chance to have a home. Um, yeah, that means that Feel like, there's so much, so many people now. It's great that you arrived at that together. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, and like, you there was no big push and pull of things, and it was just like because you don't get a lot of that these days. You're on the same page sometimes, yeah, people man. don't even talk about it, right?
1: Yeah, I feel like it was where we were also exposed to a lot of families who adopted.
0: Oh, um, in Vietnam, yeah,
1: yeah in Vietnam. So they, I I had, um, I think I shared this one moment with a colleague before. And like, we, what was it again? So the couple have, has been trying to adopt for like an entire year. Mm-hmm. And then they knew who they were adopting. There was a name. name because the, the process was just so long and winded. They couldn't meet the baby just yet and then it took like a year for them to actually meet the baby but the night that they met the baby I was at the party with them they were late for the party and she she walks in she sits next to me and she was like we met Ling tonight and I felt like that was just that was really special yeah well so we we kind of want to experience that and it feels like like being a parent Being a parent is looking after the child, you know, that you're responsible for. And I guess for us, the biological kids didn't really, wasn't really a big factor for us. But it like, I never opened up the idea before when I was younger. Like the only, I think the first time that I've made around the idea was, I watched this film before. Have you seen Lion? No. Movie. It's it's like it's with Nicole Kay, Kidman, Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. and the kids from *Slumdog Millionaire*. That actor, forget what his name is, something something Patel, but it was a story of this guy who was adopted and his um his journey to find his parents. Mm-hmm. But the main character was like talking about how it, we chose you, we chose, like. We chose you to be in our family. Like I just remember that we chose you. I'll try to remember it, later. It was it was it was, it was really good film, mm-hmm. and it kind of got stuck in my head. That it, I whenever
0: we got to talking about kids, I brought it up with Adam. It was
1: actually an idea that I brought up.
0: Just when you think you know someone, they can still continue to surprise you. I love her. And I'm so, so proud of her. Now, if what Plong said resonated with you, then listen up, because my next guest is the managing director of Generations Home, Krina Henson. We have a conversation about doing one of the most selfless things you could possibly do. We're talking adoption on this episode of Mother of Fact. Karina, it's been, oh my goodness.
2: It's been, been a while. It's
0: been a while. It's been like five Couple kids. Of- <laughs> Not or all six.
2: mine. Some yours, some mine. Yes, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for um agreeing to talk to me again. We had you on uh the radio for the first time, and it wasn't um you you didn't have that new title yet. It was still um the Rohe Foundation.
2: Yes, yeah. Well, that's new news. So I mean yeah. That doesn't date us back so far. But um, yeah, it's been a it's been a while. I think that was probably back in maybe 2017, 2018. Yeah. So yeah. a lot's happened. Um, so know. we have a lot to catch up on.
0: I know. But yeah, it's so great to talk to you again. Just watching your family grow uh, throughout the years is, is a treat in itself. How has motherhood been treating you so far after you have three kids now, right?
2: I have three kids now. Motherhood has been um an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um life with three toddlers is nothing that um there's there's no amount of coffee enough for <laughs> life with three toddlers. Mm-hmm. Um it's um it's chaotic and it's wonderful and I, you know, am enjoying every minute of it. But it is just a very high energy season, you know what I mean. Physically, it's a lot. <laughs> when these, it is with these tiny people who are just loaded with so much energy. I, you know, it's a lot. But how old great. are
0: your How old are your tiny people?
2: All right, so my tiny people. My eldest is five and a half. Um, Coco. So Coco came to our family through adoption, um, and. You know, I remember that guesting um, with you guys and I was carrying her like in a little baby sling. My goodness, it's so long ago. So it was just Coco back then. Um, And then in the pandemic, I had two babies. Um, My son, Tony, is now three. And my daughter, Brie, is two. So it was back-to-back pregnancies. So oh, you can wow. imagine just the just the chaos, right? In the middle of the world being on lockdown, I was at home mm-hmm. figuring out how to mother uh, three tiny people.
0: Yeah. yeah. But then in the midst of all that, you also, you know, you have Generations Home, which is- yep. The, the, the new name of, of the foundation and, you know, how, how has that, uh, how yeah. did that change?
2: Well, you know what, it's, um, when we started Rohe Foundation, so Rohe Foundation, um, was always just meant to advocate for adoption, to advocate mm-hmm. for foster care. And I actually started that with the help of a corporate organization in Singapore. But you know what? We've grown really, we've grown a lot and we've um, been able to develop a really good relationship with the government um, locally, um, a strong presence here where last year, you know, we just started to feel like, I feel like our name really needs to help people understand what we do a little bit better. And we've gotten a lot clearer about what we want to accomplish through our work and that we really want to help people understand that orphaned and vulnerable children don't belong in children's homes or yeah, orphanages and institutionalized and right, institutionalized care yeah but they belong in families they belong linked into the generations and so there's this you know there's permanency in the solutions that we have for orphan mm-hmm. and vulnerable kids and generations home is just meant to challenge that idea so every time we you know we introduce ourselves we say we're here to just debunk the myth that children's homes are the answer because yeah. we've just Kind of come to accept that, um, yeah. but yeah. So all that happened last year, and, and thankfully, there's been just a really great response from the community around us, and the name seems to really resonate with mm-hmm. with the people who 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 need to hear about our work. So yeah. it's been good.
0: Uh, you know, aside from having two pandemic babies, like you said, you have a third one, and that's the birth of your podcast, which
2: um, <laughs> you started
0: in 2021. Yeah. I was just listening to a couple of episodes, and I love how you're so many episodes in, um, you know, just advocating for adoption and fostering, right?
2: Yeah, thank and I you.
0: And like, I-, I like that you tied up as well with the government and you have this relationship. So can you tell us how that's going?
2: Yeah, it's going really well. Thanks. I was like a podcast newbie and it was like when when we started it, I thought, "Okay, who's going to listen to this podcast? Maybe like maybe my husband, maybe my mom." <laughs> but I'm just super encouraged whenever we get feedback because we get a lot of te- we get a lot of feedback from mm-hmm. from people that are listening in and that is so encouraging to us because that tells us that people want to know how to get involved. Mm -hmm. Um, The other day I was having breakfast and this probably like 18, 19 year old girl passed me a note and ran out the door. It was so weird. She like passed me a note and she ran out the door and she goes, oh, I heard your voice and I recognized it from your podcast, but I just wanted to say hi. And I said, that's so weird. And I said, so I ran after her. I said, so why are you even listening to our podcast? You're 19 and um she said you know i have the heart for adopting and just you know wanted to kind of get whatever information i needed i can start thinking about it early and i thought that is so cool at 19, I mean, 19 at 19 you know and we do work with a lot of young people we have a really strong presence in schools and it's amazing because young people care about this stuff you know uh-huh, young people uh-huh. are thinking about Hey, maybe when I get married or, you know, maybe when I start my family, I might not do it the traditional way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to have biological kids, but I'm open to adopting. And so I think the podcast was really important to us because one of our one of our objectives was just to put the conversation out there to make this an, a topic less taboo, mm-hmm. less hard and awkward to talk about and just normalize conversations around it. So we're really glad to see that happening.
0: Yeah, uh, I love so that. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Happy for you. Congratulations. Thank you.
2: Thank you in, so much.
0: In your podcast you talk a lot about this crisis that we have and it's called the orphan crisis. Right. Um can you tell us a little bit about how that fits in in the Philippines?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the orphan crisis in the Philippines, it's um it's something that I realize Filipinos have become very desensitized to. Okay. It's something that, you know, growing up in the Philippines, going to high school, going to college here, you do a lot of outreaches, you visit a lot of orphanages, you visit a lot of children's homes, and you just kind of come to accept that orphan children belong in orphanages. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at other parts of the world, um, especially like in the United States, they're shutting down orphanages. There are very, very few orphanages left in first world countries because families have taken on. Um, Kind of that role, right? They move it into foster care. You 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 move the care for caring for vulnerable children to alternatives like fostering, like yeah. um, independent living programs, and different things like that, where you can stand in the gap with families. And so, oh, wow. in the Philippines, we're so far behind. I mean, we're looking at close to seven, eight million um, vulnerable kids. Seven, seven to eight million vulnerable kids in the Philippines, and. When you look at statistically how many adoptions happen, we're looking at it maybe on a good year around 300. Okay. And so not even we're not even scratching the surface in terms of being able to do enough okay. um, for the orphan crisis that we're seeing in our country. And I don't know, I guess it's like we've come to distance ourselves and to say, if I need to help, let me go help an orphanage. But we really exist to challenge that and to say, you know, who might be willing to grow their family through adoption? That's where I think foster care plays a really, it's going to play a really big part in hopefully getting families equipped to stand in the gap when there's a need. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I
0: love that because not only are you from generations home, but you have, you know, talk to talk. You started your family by um, a- adopting Coco. So can you tell us a little bit of a backstory on why you chose to go this route?
2: Sure. I mean, you know, when, wh- I, I think when my husband and I got married, ad- adopting was always, it was mm-hmm. kind of like a maybe. I, I can't say I wouldn't, and I can't say I would, but maybe. And in, in 2015, um, when we were pregnant with our first child, um, you know, that, that idea kind of was off the table. Um, we thought, okay, we're expecting a child. Um, and then we lost our baby, you know, in in April of 2016. And suddenly I had empty arms, but the heart of a mother, uh-huh. you know, I had experienced what it was like to mother a child in my womb for six months. And all of a sudden that was gone and something just felt wrong. I felt like, you know, why are my arms empty here? And that really started us on this journey of recognizing and realizing that my arms might be empty, but the Philippines is full of children's homes um, who are you know, filled with children who desire to be held by a mother. And my arms actually have the capacity to hold them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I think just realizing the value of what we lost when we lost our daughter, realizing that I grieve over the life of one. And the Philippines has 8 million vulnerable children that are in desperate situations. And here I am. I actually have the capacity to love one. And so I thought the solution to that was to start the work of Generations Home. Back then we were a Rohe Foundation. And to start that, we were kind of just doing that. Um, But halfway through it, I kind of felt like God was challenging me. Like, how are you going to get all these people to adopt if you don't even know what it's like, you know, okay. really. Yeah. And okay. um, I said, okay, well, you know what? There is an opportunity to respond and probably a uh, hundred reasons to say no, not right now. Um, but every fiber in our body knew that the right thing was to say yes and to lean into the scariness of saying yes to adoption. It's scary, it's hard. Uh, we don't sugarcoat that. Um, And we're so glad we did. Um, We never look back on that decision with regret. In fact, I look back fearfully thinking about how terrified I am of myself that I could have said no, but I'm so glad that somehow by God's grace, we said yes. And that we were able to kind of lean in to the scary feelings and the uncertainty and, and just dive in and and see where it was going to take us. So, And
0: and it's also great that you and um, your partner were on the same page, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think by that time we were, but we were just talking about this earlier today because I was at a women's conference yesterday and I shared about what we do and about five women walked up to me and said, I'm so moved by what you said and I've been thinking about adoption. I've been thinking about it for years, but I've never told my husband. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. It was like a resounding kind of like comment from these women that were saying, "I've been thinking about this. I've like I really want to do it, but I've actually never talked to my my partner about it." And I thought, "Well, I think we should start there. You know I mean? like, I, like oh. I think that's probably a good place to start." But I was ta- I, I was debriefing with my husband um, this morning, and I was like, "Hey, what do you think about that?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, you know what? If you look back on our journey." we weren't on the same page at the beginning. Okay. And that people process this differently. Um, Typically, if there's like a husband and a wife, the wife's typically a little bit more open. I think the mothering instinct kicks in and kind of drives you forward into scary places. And you're kind of like, you know what, we can do this. But for dads, it's a little bit different because they're kind of like, I want to make sure we do this right. So Uh we're not going to lead in. We're not going to lean into the emotional high of what could this be? And this Uh is so exciting. We want to make sure everything is ready, that we're going to be able to love this child the way this child deserves to be loved. We want to make sure that we're not going against everything it says about how you raise a family and different things like that. And so, I just realized it's a very different journey, mm-hmm. um, but in most cases, it's very rare that both people are on the same page at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah, so that yeah. Could spell out the difference of what you end up doing, right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that it's worth taking the time to get on the same page because mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a big decision. Um, okay. You don't ever want we don't ever encourage because we we're a licensed child policing agency, which means that we can actually facilitate adoptions. We actually help people get foster licenses. And we tell them, we're so for this. But if you guys aren't on the same page, we can wait. You know what I mean? Like you need to really be, yeah. You need to be a hundred percent on the same page. I'm not saying that both of you have to be jumping up and down, excited about it. One person might have a little bit of fear, a little bit of uncertainty, some questions, and that's all healthy. Um, But we need you to at least both be willing and want to do this, right? Oh, because so. it's,
0: it's, it's forever, right? It's a lifelong commitment. Yeah.
2: And, um, yeah,
0: yeah when, you, when you adopt. Can you tell us a little bit about the process? And you said it was hard, but the process and how, how does the Philippines differ from other countries in terms of the adoption process?
2: Yeah, um, the process is a lot simpler today than it was a year and a half ago. So, um, thanks and gen- to you guys. Oh, I wish we could take the credit. We can't. Um, <laughs> I think legislatively, a lot of things have a lot of things have have transpired in the last maybe year and a half, two years. Um, there's a new domestic adoption law, RA 11642, um, here in the Philippines, which in the past adoption was both administrative and judicial, which would mean you first work with DSWD. process your adoption. And after that, however long that might take, you then have to file the adoption papers in court. And it was almost like repeating the whole process, whatever you did with DSWD. Let's do that again, but let's do it in court and have a judge sign off on it. And so, which is why it used to take so long. And so the New domestic adoption law has simplified that process tremendously. Um, they established an agency called the NACC or the National Authority for Child Care. And that agency is now a one-stop quasi-judicial agency, which means that everything gets processed in this government body, which is overseen by DSWD. Um, so you can work with an agency like ours um, where you come to us and you say, hey, I'm I'd like to, I'd like to put in an application to adopt a child. And we work very closely with you to gather the requirements. And, and then it's a pretty exhaustive home study, which means we get we deep dive into your personal life. Like wow. you know, who who you are as people, what are your values? Are you and your partner the same? Are you adopting a single person? Are you adopting as a couple? Um, what are, you know, your reasons and intentions for adopting? And that's typically like a one-month journey with us where you guys gather the, the documents and we get to know you. And at the end of that, we produce what's called a home study report, okay. which is what qualifies you to adopt. Um, and, and then we go through the managing of your case with the NACC. Once you go through that process, you get matched to a child. Right. Okay. That's available for adoption. And um, once you're matched and once you've accepted that match, meaning you're able to then see the case file of this child and you kind of get to know a little bit about them, you can say, yeah, I think this is a good fit for us. Yes, I accept this match. Um, You take this child home and this child, then you're then given temporary custody until the paperwork is complete. But that shouldn't be like more than six months from the time that this child comes home with you. So it's a lot simpler, um, which is something that we're really excited about because I think there's been a lot of hesitation around our adoption process in the Philippines because it's long and expensive. Um, But but, yeah, a lot of improvement. So now it's a lot simpler. Simpler and less expensive, I think. I think cost is also a big barrier for people. Oh, yeah. Um. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we're really going to... It's going to be an upwards trend here in terms of seeing families consider consider adoption.
0: So since you started Generations Home, mm-hmm. how many, like ballpark, Uh, how many families have you helped match with a child? Or, you know, yeah. have you seen it growing through the years?
2: We've seen... Um, we've seen a lot of growth, and so we actually didn't think um, we we weren't intentional about getting the license to operate as an agency. Um, but because of the the demand from the community, we thought we would just kind of generate interest and then toss all those people back to DSWD okay. or the other agencies. Um, but when we got our license last year, um, we started taking cases in March of 2022, and since then we've managed 80 cases. So these are like 80 official families that are journeying with us and are in the process of working out their adoption at various stages and I mean we're so excited about that. Um yeah. our team and I sit down and we're like we would have done it for one, you know. So to see that these are these are potentially 80 kids that 80 less orphans in our country that that's huge.
0: Yeah. Um so a lot of people who are listening to this episode are probably you know, curious, um, you know, if they if this is the road that they want to go um, and pass. But if, if I were to ask you, like, why should you adopt? Because in your podcast, you say that, you know, this is an issue for everyone. Everybody has right. to be concerned about it. And even that, that 18-year-old who approached you and said that she listened to your podcast was very interested in it. So why is it, like, of national concern to adopt?
2: Yeah. I think that it's something that everyone should care about. I'm not saying that everyone should adopt. I don't think that adoption is for everyone. Um, But I do think adoption is for those who recognize that it's one way of building your family and it's just as special as biologically having a child. I think we need to understand that. Sure, it's wonderful to have a child that looks like you, that maybe um kind of smiles the same way or likes the same things but in parenting we have the capacity to pass on so much more than biology um and our children can inherit so much more from us than just our smile or just our eyes or our skin color and um that's that's precious and we have the ability to do that and we have the ability to give children something that only a parent could give right and and we can do that through adoption but i think that it's everybody's concern because we're at this point where the orphan crisis is so bad that children are aging out of 90% of our kids are aging out of the system what that means is that We have children that grow up in institutional care never leave and end up back on the streets as an 18-year-old. Global statistics will say that a child who has aged out of institutional care, meaning was orphaned and never got adopted, is 500 times more likely to commit suicide. Um, They're 10 times more likely to commit a crime. I mean, it's just... It's almost like without a permanent relation, without any permanent relationships, you're set up for failure. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And that's a painful, painful reality. But it it tells us that everyone can do something. Um, We have young people. And that's why, you know, I mentioned that 18 year old girl who walked up to me. We're really excited about um, we were at a youth camp last week because young people wanted to know about what they can do to solve the orphan crisis. And I think we need to look, we need a generational approach. It's not going to be solved with our generation alone. We need young people involved preventing children from entering the system. We need, um, we need young professionals mentoring younger aged out kids. Uh Um, These kids don't have anybody to ask about career decisions or course, you know, what course should I take in college? They have no one. I mean, We need families opening up their homes during the holidays to just say like, hey, these kids don't have, I mean, we all go be, we're with our families for Christmas. There, there's no one, there's no Lola, there's no extended family yeah. that that just doesn't exist for some of these kids. And so I think it's not, we can't say that adoption is the answer, but being family to those who don't have it is. And And we all, regardless of what stage of life we're in, have the capacity to do that we can all do something.
0: You mentioned something earlier that that was really interesting. You you mentioned prevention. Yeah. And this is also something that you guys have been working on. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know,
2: yeah, we have a program for pregnant women in crisis. And you asked me a while ago what makes um the Philippine system different from in other parts of the world. In other parts of the world like you'll you'll see it in movies a lot, right? Like in the US if there is a, a teen who got pregnant and she wasn't willing to parent this child, she could very easily find a social worker and start making an adoption plan even before she gives birth. In the Philippines, you can't do that. So in the Philippines, a a woman who's pregnant is expected to see that pregnancy through full term and make a decision, you know, after trying to survive first, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why we see a lot of um trafficking happening we see a lot of babies being sold because pregnant women go online and they're literally on facebook groups looking for random people to adopt their baby for 2 3000 pesos my god it's crazy it's crazy it ha- and it's not like we were saying this is not a dark web crime this is a facebook crime like it's on it's happening on social media platforms instagram facebook tiktok and they're negotiating and they're looking for people who are willing to take their child because they're so desperate. There's just no, there's nothing else. There are no other options. And so we set up a Facebook page called Tulong Kay And it's meant to kind of be in the same space, similar tags to some of these creepy Facebook groups that traffic kids. But we provide financial support and counseling for these women so that if, you know, the goal would be to get them through. Their pregnancy. And if at the end of that they decide that they still are not the best person to parent their child, that they're not fit to parent, they're not willing to parent, whatever that might be, they can surrender their child legally through and, and be able to do that in a way that ensures that their child could legally be adopted. We've had to work with the Department of Social Welfare in developing a program that allows us to support them to um, get them what they need throughout their pregnancy. And if at the end of their pregnancy, at the end of nine months, they say, I actually changed my mind and I want to keep my baby. That's a win for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's even more exciting for us than them saying they want to surrender their child for adoption. So through this program, we're so proud of the fact that 80% of the moms that walk with us through this program choose to parent their children. Wow. That means that 80% of the time, they were just in a rough spot. Mm -hmm. They were just really struggling financially. They were just really emotional, hormonal. You know, I mean, they were just going through a lot. They they were so overwhelmed in that moment of searching online in the middle of the night for someone to help them. um, That thankfully they found someone that would really be able to really advocate for them. And 80% of the time at the end of it, once they're holding that baby in their arms and with a sound mind, they're able to say, this might be hard, but we're willing to parent. Tulong kay nanay. Yes. to the on, on Facebook. Facebook.
0: Yeah. Nakakatakot yung 2,000,
2: 3,000
0: pesos.
2: Super. Super. And you think that, and you know, it's easy to think about that sum of money and think, what kind of crazy person would sell their child for 3,000 pesos? But you know, when we talk to a lot of these moms, that's the level of desperation and hopelessness that we're looking at. I mean, it's, it's the hope that my child could be adopted. And for 3000 pesos, my other kids are going to eat this month. And so sometimes I'm so quick to judge. We're also quick to judge and to say, what kind of person would do that? Um, but a lot of times these women just need someone to stand in the gap with them and say, let's get you through this. You know, let's get you through this pregnancy. And whatever happens at the end, we'll be here to support you regardless of what kind of decision you make for your family. This What a great help. What a great help. Oh my gosh.
0: Okay, so let's say you do, you know, you do decide to adopt in the Philippines and you um, you have your child, you've started a family, What are some of the challenges, the possible challenges that one might face um, when they adopt?
2: Um, I think after adopting one, one thing that we hear a lot, or one of the concerns that we get from families is like, how do I get my extended family on board? Or like, Mm -hmm. how do I make sure that my child is growing up um, and not being bullied um, at school or being teased? And um, we run a lot of Workshops and trainings for families that do adopt. Oh. Uh, thankfully, there's a wealth of re- resources from the global adoptive space that we're able to contextualize for the Philippines. Um, but that seems to be one of the top concerns, right? Yeah. We're worried that you know Atita or a Tito, an extended family member, might say something, and that might really be hurtful to our kids. Um, and you know what we do is we encourage families to one take charge don't relinquish the reins on these conversations around adoption with your kids you have to be the one defining it mm-hmm. um setting the tone being the first one in that conversation cuz if you're hesitant to engage in this conversation your kids are not going to want to talk to you about it either you're not going to be a safe person for them to tell you what they're thinking and what they're feeling and you know just recently my daughter um my daughter Coco, she lost a tooth. She's five. So she lost her first tooth. And I just thought it was so strange. She was, you know, she was laughing. She, she just thought it was so funny. She's like, I lost a tooth. I can't believe I lost a tooth. And she was just holding her tooth in her hand. And she looked at me and she says, Mom, I'm really sad right now. I said, Why? She goes, My first mommy, that's what she calls her birth mom. My first mom is never going to see my, me, me losing a tooth. And I thought, Wow. I got a little teary eyed because I didn't expect that to go downhill and sad so quickly from this high of we just lost a tooth. Wow. But I thought in that moment, I thought, I'm so glad that I was a safe person for my five year old to say, mom, I'm sad thinking about the reality that my birth mom is never going to see me lose a tooth. Cause that's a sad thing because that's worth being sad over because. She recognizes something sad had to happen for you to be a part of our family. And I think that's the value of being open in conversation with our children, with our family. We can't control society at large, but we can control how our family responds and how our kids are going to respond to things. And at the very least, we can be a safe place for conversations like that to happen. Because the last thing I want is my child to feel sad and not tell me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was so glad that in that moment the words that came out of her mouth were mom, you know, I want you to know that I feel sad right now about this. And um and yeah, and so I think our mission as Generations Home is really to create a culture that celebrates adoption. Mm-hmm. Um that when you hear stories, there's a positive response. I was talking to another adoptive family yesterday and he said that the, the, it was an American couple. And he said, you know, when we adopted from the Philippines, we would tell our friends in the U S where we've adopted and they say, congratulations. And when we were here and we told people we adopted, they say, why? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I thought that's so funny because I practically finished his sentence. I knew what the Filipino community would say when you tell them you've adopted. And it just speaks so much about the culture and how open we are to the idea of adopting and what are some of the things that we've come to believe about it. And there's a lot of reshaping culture that needs to happen. And um, we don't want families to be afraid. We want families to know that through that you can kind of define what happens in your family and what kind of, how you're going to approach the difficult conversations.
0: It really is a cultural thing. No, we're very non-confrontational and, you know, we just rather keep things bottled up than, you know, address the elephant in the room.
2: Actually, the law, the new adoption law I was talking about, RE-11642, actually requires you to tell your child they're adopted before they turn 13. It, and okay. this is something that is new in our law. And I think it strides towards a healthier adoption culture in our country. because. I'll tell you, every time we do a volunteer gathering and there's an adoptee, someone will always come up to us and say, hey, I'm 30 years old and I just found out I was adopted a couple years ago. And it's a painful reality because you can only keep things secret for so long. Yeah. And it's it's basically a breach of trust with between you and your child. And it's you communicating to your child that if you hide it, that means there's something wrong. Yes. Right? It's something you're ashamed of, which is why you didn't tell me. But if it's something that we can be open about, that we're not going to hide, that we can tell our our children openly about. Our children don't need to know everything. Yeah. I think there's age-appropriate information for our kids and and we do classes on adoption telling. Um, that's what they oh. call it here. Adoption telling. And just to help people have these conversations. Cause it's hard. Okay. We, we know that it's, it's hard for the parent. It's actually harder for the parents than it is for the kids. Okay. Um, but so much comes out of, um, being honest with your child, a yeah. child who's been adopted already has experienced so much on un- beneath the surface, um, that you don't see and you don't know about. And to, lie to them about where they came from is extremely painful. It's like you're supposed to be the person they trust, right? You're Mm -hmm. supposed to be the one who undoes all of the bad things that happened, right? Or who tries to do things better. And to start off your relationship with lying about where they came from, it doesn't send a good message to our kids. So yeah, and now mandatory by, by Philippine law to tell our kids by the time they're 13. So yeah.
0: there's a workshop adoption telling.
2: Yes, there's there are workshops on on adoption telling, which we do, and lots of other um, agencies in the Philippines do as well.
0: Nice. So they can go to Generations Home to look up all these yes. resources when it comes to yes, what happens after adopting. That's right. Okay, okay so yeah. um, do you have any special memorable stories that you that you can share with us about um? success stories maybe after families have adopted?
2: I mean, I think that every story is so special because you just think about, you know, one less orphan. But one of the stories that we love to tell is one of this girl who started following us on Instagram and you think about social media and it was actually at that time, volunteer run. And this volunteer, this intern was like making these social media graphics and someone saw it. And through that, just started following the content online. Um, Six months later, comes back to us and said, You know, the first time I thought about adoption was when I saw that post and I've adopted a baby girl. And I just thought, wow, you know, sometimes we think so little about the way we advocate Mm -hmm. and about the way that we try to get the word out there and and do our part. And we circled back to that intern and they said, "You know, hey, um whatever graphic you made, I mean there was really nothing special about it, but it was just the fact that you put the conversation on the table. It actually opened up um this particular family to adoption and <laughs> there's a baby girl that's now, you know, a beautiful baby girl that now has parents because someone had the courage to talk about this issue." And I mean, I think just being part of um, a growing community, there's this story of one of one of the guys that advocates with us, Nathan Pante. He's probably about 17. He was adopted himself. And he said that at the age of, I think he was probably like six, seven years old, he realized he wanted a sister and couldn't have one. I mean, his parents couldn't biologically have kids. I mean, he was adopted himself. He got his parents to adopt again. So he then has a sister, also through adoption, and he's the one who's like walking her through all of the hard questions about adoption. It's like he's now become an adoption coach to his baby sister, which I just thought is so cool, you know, like sometimes we we underestimate what our kids
0: yeah. can do <laughs> so would yeah. you
2: say that
0: the best way to encourage young couples or more couples out there to adopt is by doing? You know, what what the inter did and it's getting the word out, just talking about it, putting it on the table.
2: I mean, I think that's I think that's the very least we could do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like and, you know, not laughing at jokes where that are inappropriate, where we, you know, kind of like changing the culture in our day to day conversations around it. That's one Advocating in our own special way, sure, right? Like whatever platform or whatever influence we have or whoever our friends are, we can do something, we can say something. The other thing is that in conversation, it's always like adoption is like the last resort for families. It doesn't have to be. You know, adoption is not for the childless. Um, adoption is not just for the rich. Adoption is for anybody who, has room in their heart to love another child who recognizes that, you know, maybe a, a few sacrifices on our, on, on our family front would allow us to welcome a child through adoption. Um, and kind of, it always seems that when it comes up or when someone talks about it or when someone is planning how to grow their family, kind of last resort. It's like, mm. oh, and then you can always adopt, you know, at the end of that, if none of oh. that works, you could always adopt. Um, but I heart is that that would come to the front of the conversation. That as you're thinking of growing your family, sure have biological kids. That's wonderful. But would you also think about this? Would you also have conversations around is adoption a good idea for our family? Is it something we'd be open to?
0: I like how ever since we last um, spoke, the um, the talk of adoption has progressed. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, you know, personally. What other changes do you want to see in the country when it comes to adoption?
2: I think that adoption is something the conversation around adoption is progressing and and it's actually going really well. Um, I think that we're off to a really good start, and I think given a little bit of time, the momentum's just going to increase around that. The conversation we're trying to get on the table now is also foster care. there's such a huge need around foster care and it's something that not a lot of Filipinos understand. Um, and the need for licensed foster families is huge. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people actually have the capacity to do. It's not Mm -hmm. permanent, you know, it's temporary. And you're saying some of us even have people that help us at home with a lot of the day-to-day things. And, um, we could, we could take in a child, you know, for a couple of months. Um, for some, it's a couple of years. You know, I think depending on um, the season of life that you're in, the misconception about foster care is you have to take what you're given. Mm-hmm. But actually you can very easily tell us, hey, I have two months. Okay. Do you know, I can do a placement for two months and I can stand in the gap with these kids for two months. Then, okay, let's find a child who needs a home for two months. Oh, wow, you know, And it's something that everyone could do. You okay, know? so would you say that foster care is like a
0: stepping stone towards adoption? Is it something that couples can try out if they're not yet sure
2: about adoption? I think absolutely. It's something that you could try out in the process, but we don't recommend um, kind of like using foster care as a way to try out the kids. Because hmm. some of them actually really do want to adopt and are in it for the long term. But if you see foster care as like, let's see, let's foster the kid first and then see what happens. That's it. That's potentially very painful because it's unlikely that that child would get, you would actually be able to be matched to that child quickly. So I don't recommend it that way. But if you're saying, Hey, we're actually not sure if we want to do this, but fostering, we, I think we can do that for a while. Uh-huh. Um, then that's something that I think that's a great place to start. Great, yeah. Wow.
0: Okay. Um, you know, before I let you go, Karina, I just wanted to uh, ask, as somebody who's gone this route, who's very happy with how um, her her family started out and is going, what is your last message to anybody who's still on the the verge of deciding whether they want to go for adoption or not?
2: I think I think that if you're on the verge i want to say just say yes and just do it um and not hesitate um you won't look it's it's not we've never come across someone who's regretted this decision of saying yes to adopting foster care is it hard along the way yes you know are there things that are going to happen that you didn't expect yes is it worth it absolutely 100% you know and it's it's so rewarding. Every time someone walks up to um walks up to us and says, Oh, wow, Chloe's so blessed to have you. We're like, you have no idea the the incredible joy and blessing that comes from knowing that we got to be a part of her story in that way. And um I mean, I think that if you're still on the fence, reach out to us. You know, we're here to journey with people. I'm here to journey with families and to just talk and process through some of the scary things that maybe you're too afraid to talk about. Um, We're here for that. We're ready for that. And um, there's a whole community that that is with you on this journey and you don't have to go on, on that alone. So um, yeah, but don't think too much about it. I mean, I think say yes now and figure it out later. Well said Karina Generations (laughs)
0: Home and uh, Rohe Foundation. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me.
2: Thank you, Ricky. It's been such a joy. And I'm so just happy to be able to reconnect and and see how you guys are doing. So thank you. Thank you and good luck.
0: Mother of Fact is proudly an Anima podcast. Check out other great content by following Anima online at Anima Pods on Twitter and Instagram. Digging the podcast so far? Leave a rating and don't be shy to record a voice message for me. You might just end up in the next episode. Click the link in the description or hit me up online. It's at Ricky Flow.